Yes, I'm going to in just a minute, but I'm going to do something first. Thank you. As a matter of fact, would you help me? Would you go get the bread, get a plate of the bread? I'm going to invite all the children who are about to go to children's worship in just a moment. Would you please come up here with me? All of you guys, come on up here right now. Right up here. I want you guys all up on the stage. The church, real quick, before they go, okay? The teachers will be taking them in just a moment. But I want to share, first of all, I just, I, I want you to look at them. Look at that. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you? Yeah. Come on. We love these children. They're all at different places in their maturity, right? Every one of them is kind of mature, I mean, and, and, and when they're little, they're just, some of them are maturing faster than others, but we love them all, and we appreciate all of them. I wanted to tell you real quick, I was sitting back here by James and Amy, and uh, right in front of me were Terry and Becky that were sitting in front of me, and Carner was serving the Lord's Supper. Where's Carner? Where's he at? Is Carner up here? Oh, Carner left? Oh, that's such a bummer. Okay, well, Carner went over to Terry and Becky, and he did this. He, he gave her the plate, and she took it, and then he took the cracker, and she just was holding it like, what am I supposed to do? And he broke it, and then he handed it to her. And then he broke it, and he handed it over to uh, Terry. It was one of my favorite moments in uh, communion in a long, long time, to see a child breaking the bread for the people that he loves, his church family. I wish he was here to hear that. That kind of bums me out just a little bit. Where's Adriana? Come here, Adriana. Adriana, on Wednesday night, she's been bringing some of her friends with her that their family doesn't go, their families don't go to our church. And they've been singing a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. And, and so on Wednesday night, Adriana and, Julia, and Juliana and Julissa, the three, and they're twins. The three of them stood up there and they sang and led us in a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Wednesday night. And it was awesome. It was beautiful. And I'm so proud of her and thankful for her heart that she loves God the way she does. And so we're proud of you. Would you guys give this little girl a hand for what she's done? Thank you. And if we had time, now I might not be able to do this right now, and I'm not going to try, but if we had time, we could go around to every one of these little kiddos, and we could talk about the different things that we see God working in their life. All of them would be at different levels, but we would love and appreciate every one of them. I wanna, I'm really trying to explain something to you, and that is, last week I said, I made this announcement, we do not baptize babies or children at Gateway. I said that last week, and that is because... That's generally true, because baptism is connected with a person understanding that they have sinned and that Jesus died for their sins, and that baptism is connected with that. But it's not an age either. There's not, like, we don't say at 12, then you can get baptized, or at, you know, 10, you can get baptized. We just say, when a person understands that, and their heart, God's moving their heart toward doing that, and they have a complete understanding of that, then we say, hey... If they want to be baptized, they're ready to be baptized. And so they're all at different maturity levels, and that's what I wanted you guys to know today, is that Luke was baptized this morning, early this morning. There was only a few of us here, but Luke got baptized this morning, 
And I am very proud of him. He went through all these questions about who Jesus is, about him, his sin, and that he had died for his sin. And Luke understood that. And so he was immersed into Jesus this morning. Would you guys celebrate with Luke this morning for what happened? All right. I'm going to say a quick prayer over these children. Would you guys all bow your head real quick? Bow your head. God, thank you for these kids. And please make my heart more like theirs. Give me more humility, God. More dependence on you. And we are so grateful that they are part of our church family. Every single one of them. And all the ways we see you working in their life. Help them to know how much we love them. But most important, help them to know how much you love them. And we all pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I hope the teachers are there because I'm letting these kids go. There's, there they are. Go that way. Go with, go with Miss Azri over there. Follow her. She I will now. Thank you very much, Mac. Just one more word about our children uh, before we move into our sermon this morning. Uh, if you see in your bulletin, in the month of December, we're going to have our children stay in our worship services with us for those weeks. And, uh, and that's going to be... Uh, probably awesome, wonderful, difficult, you know, but it's going to be great. And uh, a lot of us grew up that way. A lot of us raised our kids that way, you know, for a long time. And so we're going to have our kids in here during the month of December. My sermons will be briefer. Yay, everyone will be happy about that. Amen. Thank the Lord. We'll keep them in here all the time. And uh, then also we'll have, uh, as well, we'll have a children's kind of uh, sermon that J.E. will be giving every week for the kids. And we'll have some coloring and uh, activity things that uh, Allison is going to put together. And so we're, we're going to look forward to having them with us in the month of December. And then we're working very hard on our class, planning classes for children in the year 2014. And we have a teacher's meeting, that's also in the bulletin, on December 8th. And uh, we need your help. Whose help? Your help to teach those classes. So if you, if you heard that, and if you're breathing, then uh, we're going to need your help, all right? In, uh, the month, in the year 2014, we need a lot of help. Actually, to be honest with you, we need 42 people to help us. And so look around at our little church and figure out we need your help, okay? So please plan to be at that meeting, that teacher's meeting. We're in our series called Encountering Jesus. And this is a series from the book of Luke where we're looking at all these different people who... Uh, met Jesus and who were impacted by Jesus. Their life was changed by Jesus. And we're asking God to help us to go into this world and be the body of Christ. If you want to open your Bibles, there's, I won't have anything on the screen today, so if you want to grab a Bible or open your Bible, we're going to read from Luke chapter 22. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you uh, a story that I had never heard before uh, until just recently. The year was 1978. 1978. Newsweek magazine carried the story of the memorial service for Hubert Humphrey. Hubert Humphrey, the former vice president of the United States. Many of you remember uh, Hubert Humphrey. Thousands of people came from all over the world to say goodbye to their old friend and colleague. And the place they came to was Washington, D.C. to say goodbye to him. There was one person, though, who came to that service and he was shunned he was ignored by almost every single person there 
He sat by himself. Nobody would look at him, much less speak to him. That person was former President Richard Nixon. Not long before, just about three and a half years, he had gone through the shame and the infamy of Watergate. And this was his very first visit back to Washington, D.C., three and a half years later. In his own words, he described it as a very dark time in his life, a time of brokenness and depression when he struggled just with his own humanity and his identity. And that day, something for his life anyways, very special happened. Maybe the only thing that day that could have broken the ice. Because it was during that time that President Jimmy Carter was in the White House. And when he walked into the room, everybody stopped and everybody looked at him and everybody stopped talking. Oh, there's the President of the United States. He walked in and he saw President Nixon against the wall by himself. And Jimmy Carter walked to him as though he were greeting a family member. He held out his hand to shake his hand. He smiled broadly and to the surprise of the entire room, they embraced one another. And Carter said these words loud enough so that the whole room could hear. Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. Now you might not like Richard Nixon. And if you don't, that's perfect. Because that's exactly the story we're going to read here today. But i got to tell you this. Those are some of my favorite words. Welcome home. I love to hear those words. I love it when Amy says those words and she really means it. Uh, you know, I'm really, that's awesome. I love that. I love it when my kids say, you know, glad you're home, Dad. I love to say the words, welcome home. Don't you love it? Don't you love those words, welcome home? I got to tell you, Richard Nixon did not deserve any gesture of love that day. He did not expect to receive any compassion. And neither did the three people that we're going to encounter in our text today who encountered Jesus. But they received it, and it was an opportunity for them to come out of their darkness. So let's pray, and then we'll see what happened. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the children in our church again, God. I'm so grateful. I just feel overwhelmed today that we have so many kids here. What a blessing they are. Thank you for, for the prayers today, for your word that's already been read. Thank you, God, for the songs, for the opportunity to, to remember by singing and to encourage one another and to praise you. Thank you for, the, for your body and the bread. Thank you for your blood and the wine. And Thank you for Armin and Jacqueline being here. What a great day this has been already, Lord. We just give you praise. And now as we read, we pray, Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus that raised him from the dead, would you please speak to our hearts now? We expect you to do something inside of us, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 22, and we'll begin in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, 
should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion? That you come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. A dark night. A dark garden. A dark time when darkness reigns. And today we're going to see what does Jesus do during such times? What does Jesus do when darkness reigns? Have you ever had darkness reign in your life? Have you ever had that? Your future seems dark and you have no idea what lies ahead. People around you seem to wish you harm and darkness just closes in on you. Your own mistakes can feel as if you're drowning in darkness at times. Or maybe you just look at the world in general and everything looks hopeless and wrong. It's just dark. How are we supposed to respond? During times of darkness, I think the big temptation is to be depressed. I think the big temptation is to be cynical. I think the big temptation is to give up. What difference are we going to make when darkness reigns? Jesus shows us something better than despair and throwing in the towel. This is what Jesus shows us. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus keeps doing good even when darkness reigns. Jesus is going to show compassion to everyone even when darkness reigns. So today, we're going to see him show compassion to three different people. Number one, Jesus shows compassion to his enemy, Malchus. Malchus. He shows him compassion by healing his ear. Now, we don't learn it in the text we just read in Luke. We don't learn that his name is Malchus. We just learn that he's the, the uh, what is he, something? What is it? I forgot. Uh, servant of the high priest. Thank you. Yeah. He's one of the armed guards for the high priest. That's what we learn about him here. But what we find out over in John, the book of John, chapter 18 and verse 10, is we find out this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So we find out in John 18 that Peter is the one who pulled the sword, and Malchus is the one who lost his right ear. Can you imagine being this man? You've come to do your job. You've come to arrest a bad person. That's what officers do they arrest bad people he's a troublemaker he's been disturbing the status quo and everyone knows this guy has to go before he hurts the cause of israel even further now you're armed just in case i mean the guy's just a rabbi so probably no problem but you're armed just in case and suddenly you get sucker punched by a fisherman Here you are, your ear is gone, 
you've been wounded. You're not even sure what's happened, but the pain and the anger and the readiness to fight back all come on you with adrenaline. And then this man is approaching you and he's holding something in his hand and you're kind of backing up. And as you see in the moonlight, that looks like an ear. And you reach your hand up and he pulls it towards you and you kind of step back and he puts his hand on your shoulder. It's okay. And he reaches up and he touches and the pain goes away. And, and you reach up, and if it wasn't for the blood all over you, you would think, I just had a bad dream or ate some bad, you know, pork or something. No, he wouldn't eat pork. No, that was, oh, yeah, no, not pork, no. Chicken? No, I don't, I don't know. Some, some bad meat. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from. Okay. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus show compassion to his enemy? I'm going to tell you, there's several reasons I believe, but I don't have time to tell you all the reasons that I believe. So I'm going to tell you one reason, all right? Jesus heals his enemy Malchus because he is his enemy. That's the reason he heals him. What's the definition of an enemy? It's a person who actively is opposed or hostile to someone. Have you, you ever had an enemy? Do you have an enemy now? You have someone who's actively being hostile towards you? If you do, you're going to have a word from the Lord today about how Jesus treated someone who was his enemy. I've heard some people say, because of all the evil and the bad in the world, God should just destroy all his enemies. Just wipe them out in one fell swoop. Just get rid of them. And in one sense, I think if you said that to God, listen to me, I believe he would agree with you. I believe he would agree with you in this way, not in the same sense that we often think, but in the same sense that Abraham Lincoln spoke of his enemies. When Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to destroy an enemy is to make him, what? Your friend. And that is exactly what God is in the business of doing, is destroying all of his enemies by offering them his friendship. That's what Jesus does. I love this story that I read recently about a man named Bill Scheibler. He went to Vietnam in 1965. And Scheibler recalled a tense trek behind enemy lines when he and his unit had captured two North Vietnamese prisoners, and they were trying to make their way back to the safety of their own camp. And it was an exhausting, long hike in the darkness. And it was especially, it was especially difficult for one prisoner who was barefoot. Scheibler writes, in the glow of our flashlight, I looked at his feet. Each one of them was a bloody pulp. And he says, even though this prisoner was grimly stoic it was clear he would have great difficulty making it all the way on this long trek one part of him inside felt glad about that glad for this man's sufferings because in his words he said already i've seen too many of my good friends die at the hands of the north vietnamese yet something caused him to do something impulsively he picked the man up and he flipped him onto his back and he carried him through the thick jungle all the way back to their camp. He writes, 
As I trudged along, a faint weeping began to sound from the man on my back. He said, I pretended not to hear it at first until it began to be a sob. And he said, without thinking, I gave his body a slight squeeze of reassurance and carried him all the way to camp. What would cause Scheibler to show such kindness to the enemy? Well, it goes back to a few months before this when his grandfather said goodbye to him. His grandfather embraced him before he got on the plane for his tour of duty, and their farewell was emotional because both knew they might not see each other again. But then as they let go of their embrace, Scheibler's grandfather offered these parting words. Now you remember, Bill, be kind to your enemies. God loves them just as much as he loves you. I think that's a pretty cool story. Some of you may think, so what? You know, it was Vietnam. A guy carried a guy. Okay, so what? Who cares, John? Well, what difference does that make? Does it really make any difference that he carried the guy? It's just a story. Except that when they finally reached the camp, word of Scheibler's act of kindness to an enemy began to spread among the whole camp, prompting others to respond compassionately as well to all the prisoners in that camp. It made a difference in many people's lives. And I got to tell you this, it's the same for us today, isn't it? Jesus picked you and I up when we could not go any further. And he carried us. Even though, as the Bible says, we were his enemies. Some people believe that the reason Luke says this was the servant of the high priest, and he doesn't tell his name, and yet later in the book of John, he does tell his name. Some people believe it's because Luke was written probably a couple of decades after Jesus died, 20 years approximately after Jesus died, the book of Luke was written. The book of John was written another 10 or 15 or 20 years after that. Some people believe that the reason John was able to write the name Malchus is because that man who was shown kindness, it changed him. And at some point, he became a part of the Christian community. He began to follow the man who healed his ear. Now, we don't know that. The text doesn't say that. But it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case because that's what Jesus does. He shows compassion to his enemies and that kindness changes people. That's what happened to you, isn't it? That's what happened to you in your life. You learned of the kindness of Jesus and it's changed you. You're not the same person you were before you knew about the kindness of Jesus. And God destroyed you, his enemy, by making you his friend. It's amazing to me that his plan is to do the same thing with people that live all around you. That's his plan. He wants those people that don't know him that are his enemies, he wants them to be his friends. And some of them are living in very, very dark times of their life. And so he asks you, will you be the light? Will you love them on his behalf? One of the hardest things that Jesus said is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. This is what Jesus said. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. 
and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even pagans do that, but be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Tough words. But Jesus didn't say those words without being willing to do those words. The first person he had compassion on was his enemy, Malchus. The second person that Jesus showed compassion was to his friend, Peter. Peter. Peter's the one who pulls the sword out and swings it, probably to try to cut the guy's head off, but he, you know, he probably ducked, right? And so he just got his ear. I doubt that Peter was like, I think I'll cut his ear off. You know? I doubt that's what happened. In the violence of the moment, he just missed. Jesus shows compassion to Peter. He shows compassion in two ways. Let me tell you real quick what they are. First way he shows compassion is by saying to Peter, no more, no more of this. He says no to the violence that Peter is involved in. Think of what would have happened to Peter if he had kept swinging his sword. What would have happened to Peter? He would have been killed. Soldiers would have just fallen on him and stabbed him to death. Peter would have ended that night. Jesus shows him compassion by saying, stop. And in your life, Jesus would say the same to those of you who are holding a sword right now. Some of you, you're angry. You're scared, you're confused, and you are ready to hurt somebody. And Jesus says to you, out of compassion, no more of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says it this way. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so you may inherit a blessing. When you don't return evil, and when you don't return insult, you get the blessing. That's what Jesus says. Now, you probably don't actually have a sword. I doubt. Some of you might. J.E. had one, and he told me a funny story this week, and I don't have time to tell it to you. So you should ask J.E. about the sword that he has and what he tried to do with it, okay? That's a whole other story. But you probably don't have an actual sword, all right? But did you know the Bible calls your tongue a sword in the book of Proverbs. And today Jesus is saying to some of you, no more of this. Put away your sword before you get hurt. This is how I want to give you the blessing, he says. This is how you're going to escape the darkness that is reigning in your relationship. No more of this. That's the first way he shows Peter compassion. And the second way he shows him compassion is this. He covers his offense. Jesus covers up Peter's offense. Imagine that you're Malchus and you go to court to take Peter to court because that's assault and battery. That's attempted murder. So you take him to court and you go before the judge and you say, he tried to kill me. He tried to cut my head off. And he says, well, what happened? Well, he cut my ear off. He said, the judge says, well, come on up here and let me take a look. Well, well, Jesus put it back. I mean, it's just not that way anymore, you know. The judge is like, you know, give me a break, you know. Case dismissed, lack of evidence. Jesus did that for Peter. Saved him. That's what Jesus does, isn't it? He covers offenses. 
Someday you and I will stand before a final judgment. And there's an accuser who will stand up, the devil, and he'll give a long list of sins in your life. And the judge says, let me see, let me see the evidence. Well, Jesus covered those up. Case dismissed, lack of evidence. Jesus showed compassion to his enemy. Jesus showed compassion to his friend. And thirdly, I believe, and some of you will disagree, and that's fine, no problem. We got room for that here at Gateway. Some of you will disagree with me. I believe that Jesus showed compassion to the traitor, Judas. He showed compassion to him by calling him friend. It doesn't say friend in this text, but over when Matthew records this in chapter 26 and verse 46, first he says to his apostles, hey, wake up, get up. My betrayer is coming. He knows he's the betrayer. He knows and he's coming. But then four verses later in Matthew 26, verse 50, Jesus says to him, friend, do what you came for. Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed by a friend. And I've heard people say before, Jesus is getting in his last dig, you know, friend, do what you came for, you know? Do you betray me with a kiss? You know, got a last dig in right before Judas kisses him. Does that sound like Jesus? That sounds like what Jesus would do, get a last dig in? No. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing at all. Jesus calls people who betray him Friend, that's what Jesus does. That's you and me. I certainly, in my life, have looked Jesus in the face and knew I shouldn't do this, and I've done it anyways. And maybe I stand by myself, and the rest of you have never done that. But I'm going to say I doubt it. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than he lay down his life for what? His friends. That's you and me. Jesus is saying, I, I think he's just giving him one last chance. I think he's saying, one more time, friend. Do you remember we're friends? And he asked him a question, are you going to betray me? I think it's like one last chance. Here you go, Judas, please, friends. Are you going to betray me? What if Judas had come back to Jesus afterwards? After the whole thing's over and Jesus has been resurrected, what if Judas had come back around instead of taking his own life, instead of ending his life because of his shame or his embarrassment or his guilt or his whatever it was that caused him in his darkness when darkness was reigning? What if he hadn't taken his own life and what if he had come back to Jesus? What do you think Jesus would have given him? You think he would have given him a piece of his mind? Think maybe he would have given him a spiritual whipping, perhaps, for what he had done? I'm going to tell you what I believe with all my heart that he would have given Judas. I believe he would gladly have met Judas on a road called repentance. I don't believe that he would only have met him there. I believe he would have run to him. And I'm going to tell you the thing I believe he would have given him is is a hug, embraced him. And I believe he would have given him a kiss. And I believe he would have put a robe on him and a ring and he would have thrown a reception dinner 
for him. And the reason I believe that is because that's what Luke chapter 15 says that Jesus does for people who are traitors, people who betray him, people who walk off on purpose and say, I'm going my own way. Jesus runs down the road, hugs them, kisses them, even when they have given him the kiss of betrayal. Judas could have escaped, I believe he could have, could have escaped his, the darkness of his miserable failures, of his betrayal of Jesus. And better news even than that is so can you and me. God would gladly do the same for you today. He would gladly run down the road of repentance to meet you, to kiss you, to accept you back. Why would Jesus, if I'm right, why would Jesus take Judas back? Why would Jesus take you and me back? Because Jesus has compassion for everyone. In our darkness, Jesus has compassion. And some of his favorite words to say, welcome home. If you need to come to Christ today, you come while we stand, while we sing. There's a stand.